Amen. So I'm in chapter 12. I want us to read three verses in the chapter. I want us to be thinking about the idea. Then I'm going to probably lay a theological foundation that needs to circumscribe our topic tonight. We're lifting up a topic that is called healing. It is as um, slippery as any ice is, and we don't want to slip and fall uh, on the ice of human opinion or the ice of fickle emotional um, preference. First Corinthians chapter 12, let's look at verse 9 again. As the apostle has already enumerated the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge, by the same spirit. Those are the first two gifts. And then he went on to talk about another to another, um, to another, the gift of faith by the same spirit. And now he comes to another heteros, the gift of, or the gifts rather of healing. In the grammar, the, the emphasis around the gifts of healing is really the fact that Paul is emphasizing all sorts of healing will take place when the gift of healing is in vogue. And that would be logically so because there will be all kinds of afflictions, all kinds of plagues and all kinds of diseases. We're going to work our way around that here shortly. So when he says to another faith by the same spirit and then again to another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit, we might well frame that as we have been working through our understanding of how God works. When we talk about the gift of, we know that God is the source. You would agree with that, right? Be, God being the source, person one, person two, person three, person one being the father, person two being the son, and person three being the spirit. We've already talked about their management style. Their management style is that the father is the source of the power. The son is the administrator of the event. He's the one that orchestrates the, uh, the, the place, the time, the situations whereby the spirit of God, the third person, will show up and manifest the presence of God in the kingdom. So we, we looked at that under administrations. Um, or are, yes, under administration, he will give assignments and the spirit of God will give the gifts. The, the father gives us the source or the power. We're going to be getting back to that. Dunamis, the son gives us the assignment, go here, there and do this. And the spirit of God gives us the gifts to exercise them. And this is how God is glorified and the kingdom of God is manifested by the people of God. Charismata, charismata, charismata is the Greek term for, um, for the charisma. The charisma is what God does for every believer. Every believer is natural without any charisma until God grants us charisma. So the charismata is when the spirit of God is in your life. And the spirit of God is developing your character and developing your um, your qualifications to be used by him. And then you become an instrument of the charismata. And this is where we've gotten the term in our in our churches, uh, the charismatic church. So a charismatic person is a person that is operating out of the presence and 
uh, deployment of the Spirit of God. In this context, we are going to be dealing with the subject of the healings. And what I do recognize with Paul is that he actually does have a strong, coherent theological framework around these gift, different gifts. We can probably demonstrate, it won't be tonight, that the uh, word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the gift of faith are components that will be present as either preceding or operating simultaneously with the gift of faith and the gift of healing. What you will see definitely is that in many places, with the exception of a few, wherever there's a gift of healing, there's going to be the gift of faith, okay? That with, with the exception of a few, that's going to be the case because the kingdom of God is coming in a multifaceted way to affirm who Messiah is. So I'm going to start with just a few New Testament verses, then I'm going to come back because what I want us to understand is the New Testament is an era. It's an it's an uh, epic. It is a period of time that was called the days of Messiah, the days of Messiah. We could literally say the days of Jesus, but they, they were the days of Messiah. And when you think about the days of Messiah, you and I have to think in terms of what the Old Testament said would characterize the days of Messiah. OK, that's going to be extremely important. In other words, we don't want to be just looking at the gifts independently of Jesus. We've talked about that before, have we not? Um, there are all kinds of groups and cults and sects and uh, uh, sectarian uh, systems that will talk about healings and talk about miracles. You'll get them virtually in any religious system and even in non-religious systems. You'll get them in philosophical systems. The Church of Christ Science will talk about healings and miracles because healings and miracles have a almost in, inseparable correlation to physiology. And what do I mean by physiology? The bodily um, peril and liabilities of being human beings and therefore having all kinds of maladies in our life. So when we talk about healing, we are talking about the physical realm. And so where mankind has developed all kinds of sciences and disciplines around, you know, psychology and psychiatry, they have also developed certain um, views around how these systems fuse by way of healing. In the realm of the Church of Christ science, they will talk about how to heal yourself purely through your mind, okay? This is not new, this is old. This is all part of secular new age philosophy. You can heal yourself. You've never heard that before? Of course you have. You can heal yourself, of course, Many of us know that immediately to be an antichrist proposition at this level. It is a man-centered, man-exalting notion that you and I actually have the prerogative and arbitrary power of God because we are God unto ourselves and therefore we can heal our own afflictions. For a Christian, that would be an abomination. I just want you to know that. Now, you would, you would agree with me. The challenge is, is that in many of our churches, particularly our hyper-Pentecostal charismatic churches, many of them really ascribe to a kind of self-deification 
where the power for self-healing is within you. Did that make some sense? This is where you've seen Oprah Winfrey many years ago drift from being a traditional Christian, if you will, into uh, Deepak Chokra's view, which is nothing but a kind of monism out of um, out of uh, Hindu and Buddhism. If you guys know, that's Middle Eastern religion uh, where really you are your own God uh, and you can tap into the God that's in you. And this is very prominent in the secular world among elites. It is very prominent in your entertainment industry as well. It is very prominent in your music industry. Only today in the music industry, they are no longer pretending that they are operating out of a divine light. They are more openly admitting they are walking in a dark light. Okay, so when we talk about healing, when we talk about any of the charismata, any of the gifts of the spirit, they must always be anchored in Jesus because our theology must always precede our experience. This is what it means to be a Christian, by the way. A Christian is not one who first experiences and then frames his theology. A Christian is one who frames his theology as the basis of his experience. Does that make some sense? Right. So we are people of the book in that regard. We are people of propositional truth claims. This is even the case that would have been with with um, with, with Israel as well. So I've shared this with you before. So if what I'm saying is true, then it makes sense that when Paul is giving the categories and Paul is a Jew, he's giving the categories of this of the word of wisdom proposition, word of knowledge proposition and then gift of faith. See what I'm saying? Propositional truth claims preceding faith because faith proceeds from divine propositional truth. That makes sense, right? Faith comes by what? Hearing by what? The word of God. So God comes and he speaks to us and that speaking to us will provide when it's his purpose, a faith that attaches us to God at all of the pleroma that God is, all of the fullness of God. And that will open the door up for whatever God wants to do, which is what I'm getting ready to demonstrate with you both in the old and the new. So let me circle back and anchor down. The reason we are not immediately getting into the verses is because I want you to think Jesus first. I want you to think Messiah first, because fundamentally, while others before him and after him did miracles, none of them did miracles the way he did them. So when we're talking about the messianic era, we're talking about the promise of the Old Testament that Messiah would come and that when Messiah would come, he would do all these things. As you guys would hear echo in the Gospels, right? When Messiah comes, will he do greater works than this man? Who was that? Jesus. And people were raising the question, if Jesus is not the Messiah, then who would be the Messiah? Because Jesus is doing miracles everywhere you go. Right. That is the that is the utterance that you get. So here's what Paul says in verse nine to another, the gift of faith by the same spirit to another, the gifts of healing by the same spirit. The next verse I want us to look at is in the same chapter. It's going to be um, verse uh, we're going to be looking here now at verse 20, verse 29, verse 28. Notice what it says. And God has set forth in the church first apostles, secondarily prophets, and thirdly, what? Teachers 
After that, miracles, then gifts of what? Healings, and then finally, helps. We'll be talking about that. Governments, and then what? Diversity of tongues. Now what he does in verse, 30, in verse 29 is set up some uh, rhetoricals. And we'll get here and unpack this more fully later. But Paul is in what we would call corrective mode. He's correcting some things, and we need to be aware of it. He raises the question, this here is a... Um, this is a Socratic question. It's also um, an interrogative. Um, are all apostles? That's the question that he raises. We're in verse 29. Are all apostles? Then he raises another question. Are all prophets? Then he raises a third question. Are all teachers? Then he says, are all workers of what? And then finally, let's look at verse 30. And notice what he says. Have all the gifts of healing do all speak with tongues, do all what? So what is Paul doing right here? He's destroying the assumption that anyone can have all of the gifts at any time that they want to so that it could amount to everybody in the church having all the gifts. Did that make some sense? So this is what I told you at the beginning of our study, that when you look at verse seven very carefully, and you can pull that up, sis, you look at verse seven very carefully, the Christian does not get to arbitrarily choose the gifts. But, but it's important for you to know because people that are not grounded and sound in the faith might assert to themselves the right to choose gifts. But what Paul said is that is absolutely the work of the spirit. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man for the profit of what? Everybody. And he, he gives the gifts severally as he wills. That's something that we have to keep in mind. The spirit of God gives them as he wills. He takes them as he wills. There's going to be something for you to need to know too. That a person may have a gift now and that gift is uh, employed. It's only employed for the manifestation of the what? Right. It's not for that person. And so it may be that you might be used in the area of the word of wisdom. Or you might be used in the area of the word of knowledge. And we talked about that. Go back and understand the distinction between the word of wisdom, which means to build up, to edify or to defend truth claims that are being exalt, uh, being assaulted by the enemy. Does that make sense? And then we talked about the word of knowledge, which means to inform to bring clarity to at a supernatural level so that men and women know that God is speaking through you. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be saved. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be edified because what we saw with the word of knowledge with Elijah and then we saw it also with Peter is that people were caught by that word of knowledge, living contrary to God's will and suffered the tragic consequences. Does that make sense? In fact, in my, in my thinking, you know, when that word of knowledge comes around, if the immediate response on the part of the person hearing that word of knowledge is not repentance, they're doomed. So the word of knowledge is to catch us in the deceit and conceit of our own assumption that we can pull the wool over God's eyes. I hope you understand what I just stated. So like, and, 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 and this is so important on a practical level, because if you, if you lift these gifts up and put them in such a high cerebral or mystical level, you will never see them manifested in your own life. Did that make some sense? 
right? You and I want to be sensible when they show up, either manifesting in someone else to you or you to other people. And when they do, you may not be immediately aware of it. But if you and I are grounding ourselves in God's word, we may be able to go, oh, maybe that was a word of wisdom. Maybe that was a word of knowledge. Or as we talked about faith, I said faith in this context is an opportunity or a situation where you express an unusual confidence in God as a breakthrough gift around things where the vast majority might be shrinking away or might be fearful or might be vacillating or might be ambivalent. And here you are robustly clear on what God wants you to do. This is this is another thing. If you're taking notes, when the gift of faith is working, you will have a clarity that other people don't have. Because faith then is a is peering into piercing into dimensions that are unseen, right? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's why I gave you the account of uh, Joshua and Caleb. They could see through all of the subterfuge of the 10 voices that were giving a bad report. Isn't that a beautiful thing to have the gift of faith operating to keep you from collapsing under all of the naysayers? Because you know it can happen. Okay, good. So now what I want to do is show you three or four verses in the New Testament. Then I want to run way back to the Old Testament and walk us up because I want you to see Jesus coming in the volume of the book. Otherwise, we are not doing Christian theology. All right. So I I will I will launch into some of the New Testament texts to deal with our term, the uh, gift of healing. And it's a beautiful concept in its own right. And it could take up several studies. The Greek term, you don't really need to to know it. Ioma is the term. And it means I'm going to give three words to cure, to heal and to remedy, to cure, to heal and to remedy. And I'm going to try to make sure that we build an understanding of those three terms as we're talking about the gift of healing. So in the Old Testament, the prominent Hebrew word uh, in its fundamental verbal form is Rafa, 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 from which we get the term Jehovah Rafa, the Lord that what? Healeth thee. Okay. Now I want you to walk with me and I want you to be careful because I want you to learn how to think critically. The first time our word is used is in Genesis chapter 20, verse seven. Pull that up. And I want to walk with you. This is called biblical theology. It's walking through the scriptures, seeing how God acts and then marking the events and asking the question, what is the lesson behind the optic? Okay. always you want to do that, because whenever God breaks into our world and shows up because he's the invisible God. He's not comprehended without himself permitting us to see him. And that's the whole purpose of the spirit for God to be comprehended by acts that the spirit does that would exalt the son that would point us to the father. Here it is. Now, this is God talking to Elimelech. Back up three verses. This is the scenario where you and I talked about earlier, where Abraham uh, being fearful of the king uh, wanting to kill him for Sarah. 
his, uh, his wife, but Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous man? Now, I want you to understand Abimelech is having a conversation with God. Y'all got that? Mark that. That's something you need to mark. Keep going. Let's keep going. Verse five. She said, then said he not unto me, said he, that is Abimelech is saying about Abraham, said he not unto me, she is my sister. And she, even she herself said, he is my what? In the integrity of my heart and in the innocency of my hand, have I what? I took her because I thought she was free to be taken. That's what he's saying, isn't he? Abraham said, that's my sister. And it would have been it would have been completely appropriate for the monarch, for the king to take a free woman. He said to God, I'm not going to take her if she's taken already. I'm not going to take her from Abraham if that was his wife. But her being a free woman, a beautiful woman, the king is going to have women in his harem, is he not? This here is a major point of theological reflection. There's a lot for you to learn here. This is why I love my Bible, because there's something very clear here. I shouldn't stop, but I'll do it for us. You need to know that what we're dealing with in terms of the first miracle of healing in the Bible, the first miracle of healing in the Bible is that God is talking to a Gentile. That's one. Secondly, the Gentile is talking back to God. That's two. Thirdly, they are talking about moral and ethical parameters. That's three. What the Gentile is doing in talking to God is establishing his righteousness as having had integrity to only go after Sarah because he thought she was free. Did that make some sense? All right. Fourth, because of the cultural norm at that time, polygamy was completely accepted. Fifth, it was especially accepted for monarchs and kings. Seventh, Abraham will be a polygamist too. You see what I mean by stopping, pausing, parking and going deep with God? Because you need to know all that stuff. Because when we move from Genesis to Leviticus and from Leviticus to Numbers and Deuteronomy and then to the book of Judges and then to the book of Kings and we see how people behave. Well, you need to go back to first mention to know how God has accommodated human behavior for his purposes. And so like right now, Torah is not in play. Torah will tell you. It is to be one man and one woman with the exception of certain uh, conditional seasons that are taking place. Right. Torah will tell you. But Torah's not here. Torah won't be here until Moses shows up. We're, we're in Abraham's time. OK, Abraham is 500 years before Moses. And when Moses come, he's going to bring Torah in and Torah is going to be a new law added on the law already in men and women's hearts. So what Paul tells us in Romans two is the law is written in our hearts. Whether you have an external code of God's law or not, God wrote his law in all of our hearts. We know right and wrong, do we not? I'm just helping you guys understand. And then think about this. If this is number eight, if you want it, you can have it. Look at how good God is to engage a Gentile in a dialectic around which the Gentile is pleading with God to understand that he only did what he did because of the information he had. In fact, Abraham was engaging in disinformation 
misinformation, right? The newspaper was reading wrong, wasn't it? Okay, just, and this is really interesting because the righteous man is a Gentile, the unrighteous man is a Jew. He just happens to be God's servant. It's a beautiful thing here. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. See, Abraham does not get to boast in his own righteousness, does he? Because he's, remember I talked to you about the sin curve, like the oscillating cycle, right? Abraham's way down here right now. Is he way down here? Right. Okay. Notice what it says in verse six. And God said unto him in a dream, in a dream. So he's talking to him in a dream. That's number nine, because God will often talk to us in dreams because in dreams there is a broken uh, uh, prohibition or inhibition. There's an inhibition that is is uh, in our dreams where we are less likely to argue in our own rational conscious with things like and I shouldn't go down this path, but we can. In our awake state, you and I, you and I play psychological games with ourselves. And we, we distort reality and we misrepresent facts and we lean into biases that may default into a delusion. That makes some sense. But when you're, when you're in your dream state, your soul is free, uninhibited, it's floating around, and God can create all kinds of monsters to get your attention psychologically and emotionally, can he not? He can bring up all kind of deep subconscious stuff and formulate a narrative to make a point to you. Pastor, what are you talking about? In the multitude of dreams, this is how God corrects. This is the book of Job. Did you hear me? In a dream, in the visions of the night, when deep sleep falleth upon man, God enters into him and seals his instructions. So when they wake up, they have a paradigm shift on their attitude, perspective, and sometimes their whole psychological makeup. I'm making some sense. I'm just helping you right here. So God is dealing with the king because in the the mouth of the king, there's power. He can kill. He can make a lie. And in many cases, the earthly monarchs were like gods. And you need the true God to show up and correct the false Lilliputian, lest he just wakes up in the morning and starts acting a fool. This is why um, Pilate's wife, not Pilate's, yeah, Pilate's wife was troubled by the dream she had. The angel of the Lord was plaguing her. So she had to tell her husband, do no harm to this man. Am I making some sense? All right, we could go on deeper, but I, I love this about God. Notice what he says. And God said unto him in a dream, yeah, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. That means God already knew the mechanisms and dynamics of his heart. He knew that the man was uh, uninformed. He knew that the man was uninformed, meaning he, he did not have the appropriate data. So you can't have informed consent. Hint, hint when you don't get the proper data and God's on your side. God's on your side. Am I making some sense here? Okay, it's important for you to get this. If if there is a whole list of information you need to know about a product or a situation and you only get one line and you succumb to that because of that one line, you have been misrepresented. You've been fraudulently uh, imposed upon and you cannot be guilty of that. Right. Authorities are always obligated to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth before you put yourself in harm's way. Am I making some sense? All right. Let me keep going. 
And this would be true of you if you're an authority, it'd be true of you if you're a parent, et cetera, what have you. Whatever domain, sphere of domain you have, you have to make sure you have the integrity of telling the whole truth to a person so that whatever actions they engage in, you are not culpable of it because you held back data. You shall not bear false witness. All right, let me keep going. So notice what he says. For I am also, I have also withheld you from doing what? So notice what God said. The reason why you didn't sleep with her is because I kept you back. There's so much for free will. Right? So much for free will. You know what God says? No, I'm the one that kept you back. You think you kept yourself back. So, so when our friends are arguing, I have a free will, what we're simply recognizing with them is that they're completely ignorant of all of the unseen dynamics that keep them back or lean them in a certain direction, or impede their inclination, and they are unaware of it. Am I making some sense to you? Right. See, if you tell somebody you have free will, you have to at the same time tell them that you are omniscient at the minutest level of all of the mechanisms in the universe that might influence your decisions. Did that come home? I have free will. That means you are absolutely open to every piece of information running through every molecule in the universe that, 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 that coordinates itself to move you in a direction. And you have to give that, that entity permission for you to make that choice. And the reality is, is none of us are free like that. You see what I'm getting at? Influence, control, manipulate it. The wind's blowing all the time and we're going hither and yon and we don't even know the wind is blowing. Right. Uh, I love the way uh, Jeremiah puts it. Man's goings are not of himself. How then can he understand his own way? Right, right. When you do something stupid, you know you did it, but you don't always know why. That's why Paul said in Romans 7, the good I would, I, I find myself not doing. And the good and the evil that I would not, I find myself doing, right? He's not explaining why that's happening. He's simply affirming that he's contradicting himself all the time because a power that's greater than him is working. It's called sin. This is why I tell everybody the reason why we agree with you in the area of your free will is because you're a sinner. (laughs) Every sin is an exhibition of free will. All right. Okay. Leave that alone. Now notice. So God kept this man from sinning, didn't he? Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Isn't God good? This is why we pray for our kids. I'm going to be talking about these letters up here in a minute. This is why we pray for our kids, because God can show up in the imperception of their life, all of the uh, imperceptitudes of their life to do things, to hedge, to protect, to guide to push, to just blow and shift them from a pathway that could be destructive for them. And at the end of the day, they're going to come to learn that God kept them back. See what I'm getting at? That's why you pray for them. Verse 7, Genesis 27. Now, therefore, restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet and he shall what? Don't forget this because God now is getting ready to bring in a mechanism as he actually engages in the first recorded miracle. Notice what he says. Now, therefore, restore the man to his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for you, and you shall what? Whoa! You shall live. That man is about to die. Is that true? 
He's about to die. Ladies and gentlemen, you know what he's about to die of? A disease. Yes. Keep reading. And if you restore her not, know thou that you shall surely die, you and all that are yours. You see it? Look at verse 21. I mean, verse uh, 8. Therefore, Abimelech rose up early in the morning, called his servants, told all these things in their ears, and the men were absolutely afraid. Everybody is awakened to the reality of the proper narrative now, right? Look at the next verse. Then Abimelech called Abraham, said unto him, what have you done unto us? And what have I offended you that you should bring on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. That boy is disturbed, is he not? All right. Look at verse 10. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, what sawest thou that thou hast done these things? He's still trying to reason through. Abraham ain't said nothing. And Abraham said, because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Verse 12. And yet indeed she is my sister. So he told a half truth, right? Told you that's that's our government. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. See, Christians need to stop. Christians need to stop. You see how we can be? You see what Christians can do? If that boy is not parsing the newspaper, I don't know what he's doing. Okay, verse 13. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father south, as I said to her, this is thy kindness, which you shown unto me at every place where we shall come. Uh, say of me, he is my brother. So her, him and Sarah agreed on that. Verse 14, I want to get to the end. And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servants, women servants, and gave them to Abraham and, and restored him, Sarah, his wife. You guys see that? And here it is. Uh, and Abimelech said, behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it please, but get out of here. That's really what he said. And under Sarah, he said, behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver I love the way he said this to Sarah. And behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is to thee a what? Covering of the eyes and unto all that are with you and all the others. Thus she was what? Because she she was complicit with her husband. God protected her though. And I taught you guys this a while back because inside of Sarah was Jesus. Abraham and Sarah are the beginning of Jesus through Isaac, Jacob, right, and the rest. And God had to protect Sarah because Sarah is the bearer of the seed. Did y'all get that? Right, and, and Jesus wouldn't have shown up. Listen carefully, and this is where you and I are today. Please get this. The Egyptian penetrating Sarah would have destroyed the promise. Did you get that? The Egyptian penetrating Sarah would have destroyed the promise. This is the battle going on today. You understand? Look at what's, what, what goes on to be said. So Abraham prayed unto God and God did what? First time Rapha is used. So when you're reading narratives, you got to read them carefully because there are things in there that are not being said. You and I can easily affirm logically and rationally that what God had done when Abimelech was thinking that he's going to have Sarah sexually, that God gave him a disease. Did that make some sense? 
And that disease would have stopped him and all of Egypt from having babies. They were about to be annihilated. Did that make some sense? Good, it's important for you to get that. I love God. He knows what he's up to. Also, this is what I was saying about physical healing. Physical healing is a profound, profound um, concept with God and with men because our physiology is so much a part of all of our purpose and design in life. Okay, it is huge at the end of the day. Let's keep going. All right. So I use that as an opening example because there are just so many ways in order for us to uh, understand what's taking place in in the Old Testament with this. So the next time that we uh, look at healing that I want us to uh, begin to consider is the idea of healing in the Psalms. I want you to hear how the Psalms plays this out. I'm in Psalm uh, 30, verse two, Psalm 30, verse two. I'm going to read three or four Psalms and I want you guys to think about the categories. Not going to be here long, but I want to be here long enough for us to get theology. Psalm 30, verse two. Of course, now we're dealing with the people of God, are we not? All right. So again, how many Psalms in the Psalms? How many divisions? One hundred and fifty. Y'all got that? One hundred and fifty Psalms, right? Psalm one to Psalm 50, right? And they are broken up in three sections, five sections. Okay, I've talked to you guys about that. The Psalms have their own Pentateuchal structure as well. They're broken up in the five sections and 85 percent of the Psalms are written by Dawid. Who is Dawid? That's exactly right. Then the priest, then Moses, some Solomon. Okay, and and so forth. We are in the first division of the five because it goes from one to 42, from 42 to 71, from 71 to 89, from 89 to 107, from 107 to 150. We are in the first division and the first three divisions are almost David's totally. Okay, so David is the one writing here. Is David a believer? All right, good. I want you to contextualize this. Listen to what he says. Oh, Lord, my God, I cried unto you and you what? You see it? All right. Like you can run all over the place if you want to. Or you can ground yourself and ask the question, why is a believer asking for healing? You can at least ask the question because you can make the foolish mistake like a lot lot of religious folk and assume that just because you're a believer, you don't need healing. You can be as arrogant and as erroneous as many professing believers who go around saying, I am not a sinner. It's remarkable to me how ignorant Christians are. So mark this, and these are two sides of the same coin. The only reason that disease is in the world is because of sin. And one of the reasons that disease is a big factor in scripture is because ultimately only God can heal it. And because disease plays a major servant role of reminding that reminding you and me that we are flawed and broken and we are mortal creatures that are volatile in nature and that we could die any time, a slow death or a miserable death. Am I making some sense? Right. And a lot of times when we are not diseased, we're under the delusion that we're whole. Somebody can take notes because, you know, it's time to be taught. 
Right. Now, we do understand that our salvation, sozo, is healing. I told you that. Sozo means healing. This is why he says in Exodus 15, 26, I am the God that does what? Heals you. Salvation is a healing process. But it's comprehensive, is it not? It's mind, it's body, it's soul. It's the total man. So on this day, my brother, King David, the one I told you I'd roll with through East Oakland and through, you know, Sobrani Park. I'd roll with him through Mission District and anywhere because, you know, David knew how to get down. Um, He's requesting that God does what? You can develop your own list. Is this a request for a psychological healing? Is this a request for an emotional healing? Is this a request for a physical healing? Is this a request for a spiritual healing? Is this a request for a relational healing, a familial healing? Is this a request for a domestic healing? Is this a request for a social healing? Is this a request for a dynastic healing? You see how deep you have to be ready to go? Raise your hand if you're keeping up with me. If you're too tired, go take a nap and come back in. I'll still be teaching in 45 minutes. And and the reason is you, you can't play with this stuff. These are really good questions, aren't they? Right, because what you and I want to face now is every time the word healing is used, it's not just talking about physical healing. You see what I'm getting at? It's not just talking about physical healing. Oh, Lord, you have brought my soul from the what? You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Something was seriously going on in David's life. Wasn't it? That brother was looking at the portals of hell opening up, swallowing him up. And he's a child of God. I can reconcile that. Can you reconcile that? You know what that is? Being simultaneously righteous and sinful at the same time. You know what that is? That's being called David's son, Jesse. Jesse's son, David. That's being called the king in Israel. That's being the man that's got a lot of money now. That's that's being the man that was on the bottom who was on the top now. That's the man who was living in the back of the woods, tending sheep, who's living at the top of the castle on the deck now. Am I making some sense? And you have to understand that that kind of matriculation up from poverty to wealth and power is going to challenge you. Because I I want you to, you know, I really just want us to always enjoy the depths of God's word. And the reason why we have to actually go at it with this kind of level of uh, um, Socratic and, 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 and profound interest is because when we break it open like this, then we can see how it relates to us. Am I making some sense? Otherwise, you're not going to see the word relating to you. You're going to stick it out there like a newspaper and it's about somebody else. No, this is about you. Somewhere in that category, it's about you. And me too. Because I'm whole in Jesus, but I am definitely not whole in myself. And neither are you. There are many spaces and places in your person that need healing. See what I'm getting to? 
All right, so it's very good. All right, I want to go to another one because these are extremely important. Psalm 41.4, we're coming to the end of the first division, and David's still being honest with God. I love David. David's honest with God, is he not? <clears throat> I said, Lord, be merciful to me and heal my soul, for I have what? Sinned against you. So remember what I told you? You can't separate the sin concept from the sickness concept. I'm trying to teach you guys something. And what David is doing now is employing a New Testament principle in an Old Testament context. Because David is often a picture of who? Messiah. Right. And David knew how to look forward to the integrity of what was represented in the symbol. Did he not? Didn't he already teach you and I back in chapter 40? He's in 41, right? Chapter 40, sacrifices and offerings you do not desire. What does God desire? A broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. So while every other Jew that fell prey to assuming that the picture was the person or the type was the reality or the symbol was the substance, David knew all that stuff only pointed to the reality. That's going to come home in a minute. So he's holding on to the altar, the horns of the altar in heaven not at the temple, in heaven. Grab the horns of the altar in heaven. Call upon the name of the Lord while he is near. See what I'm getting at? This is why I love David, and this is why God said, David's a man after my own heart. That means David's running after me when David gets in trouble. And David knows where to find God. See, some believers don't know where to find God when you get in trouble. Is that true? All right, so I'm gonna leave that alone. I'm glad you came, but you need to think this through because a lot of times, you know how we are? We get in trouble. Not you, but I'm talking about me. I get in trouble. And, and, and if I'm a certain kind of way, it's a long time before I get out of that trouble. And do you know why it's a long time? Because I can't find God. Okay? I can't find him. Now, he's not hiding. It's me. But, I, but I'm using that facetiously. And so some people are going to come to you and say, you know, I don't think God's talking to me. I can't find God. I'm gonna... It's not God, it's you. Really be sure of that. You're playing games with yourself. You're hiding from God. God, where are you? This is a good study, isn't it? Yeah. Psalm 107, verse 20. I got several verses I want to, I just need to milk us on. I love this. Go back to verse uh, verse 18, because this here is a historiography of the children of Israel. And I love this about God because he's he's a mother hen over his little chicks and he takes care of them. He says their soul abhorred all manner of meat. I think I need to go back to like verse 14. So for people who don't have the context, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. That's Egypt. Verse 15. All that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. This is why in every Christian church that actually understands the gospel, when unbelievers come in, they ought to hear us praising God. There should not be a real Christian who is grounded in the reality of what Christ has done for them that doesn't praise God. The notion that you don't praise God means that you have not seen his glory. See what I'm getting at? It are, and you don't have to be as loud as I am in your praise. I had a brother many, many years ago. His name was Sam. He was a Greek, young, handsome, tall brother in the church. 
And we had him and his mom for about Mary for about eight years. And just like a lot of y'all, he would come in and sit down in the same seat for eight years. Do you know we are very predictable creatures? (laughs) Him and his mother would come and sit down in the same seat. He would be right where Brother Don is right now and uh, be sitting there. And I'm preaching my heart out. Yeah, as a young man, I was really good now. You think I'm bad now. I am not bad now. I was killing everybody back in the day. I was John the Baptist. The sword was flying everywhere. It was good. It was very good. And, and, and Brother Sam would be on the edge of his seat looking at me like this. Everybody else, amen, hallelujah, amen. He'd be like this. And every now and then, a tear would just come down his eye. And uh, at one point, I guess he just got uh, hyper self-conscious and he had to come to tell me, Pastor, I just want to let you know, very proper young Greek brother. um, I just want to let you know, man, I'm sitting there and that preaching is so good. It's just so good. But I just don't have it in me to get loud like all these other people in here. So inside I'm shouting. Outside I'm that's how a lot of our, our people are. And so you can't judge a person in terms of the depth of their praise because they're not as loud as you. Am I making some sense? All right. So now, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Verse 16. I want to walk it through the 20. For he broke the gates of brass, cut the bars of iron and sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. We'll get back to that. Affliction is sickness. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat. They draw near unto the gates of death. This is a fool, right? Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saves them out of their what? Verse 20. Look at it. It's a beautiful thing. He sent his word and did what? And delivered them from their destruction. Isn't that beautiful? Now, you can capture that text right there. Wrap your hands around the Debar and around the Rafa and take those two terms and say, this is Jesus. Because he sent his word and his word is his son. Y'all got that? Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's a beautiful reality. All right, I want to go to a couple of the harder ones now, and this is going to be in the prophets. They're going to teach us some things, okay? Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. I want you to follow me in this. Now, here's what God says as he's describing Israel through Isaiah. Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, um, is 750 years before Jesus, which means he's 750 years after Moses. And uh, no, he's 750. Yeah, he's 750 years after Moses, 250 years after David. Notice what it says. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with what? Who is the prophet describing? Israel. Okay, please know that his own people. And he says they're laden with iniquity. They are a seed of what? Children that are what? They have what? Forsaken the Lord. So at the time that the prophet is speaking and all of God's prophets were lawyers, 
Do you understand that? Torah was God's indictment upon Israel because of Israel's rebellion against God. I want you to know that we're getting ready to get into some technicalities around disease here in a moment. But God's lawyers are standing up for God, telling the people who are supposed to be Jehovah's bride that you are sick. Watch it. They've forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger and they have gone away backwards. You know what that's called? A backsliding heifer. That's what Hosea called it. A backsliding heifer. Right. So you know what a backsliding heifer is? Raise your hand if you don't. I can teach you. A backslide. There's only one people say everybody in the house know what a backsliding heifer is. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. A backsliding heifer was a heifer who refused to submit to his master and go forward with the yoke on the neck if, if you uh, plowing up the ground. A backsliding heifer just wouldn't go. I'm not going. I'm not going to be obedient. And God was calling Israel to be an ox treading out the corn like God calls you and me to be an ox treading out the corn. I'm definitely called as an ox to tread out the corn so that the people can eat the corn freely. Am I making some sense? So Israel was supposed to be a prophet and a priest. Neither offices were they keeping consistently. So this is why God says they've gone backwards. Verse five, verse five. Why should you be stricken anymore? You see the picture of the master trying to goad the ox. Can y'all see it? All right, good. Why should you be stricken anymore? He's talking like it's no use. They won't submit. They won't listen to the word of wisdom. Remember the word of wisdom? The words of the wise are like golds. The goal is to get you back on the path. Sometimes oxen will act a fool. Asses will act a fool. Horses will act a fool, right? Donkeys will act a fool. And you got to get them back on the path. We are all of that. Not you, but some of us. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. Do you see? This is God saying that through Isaiah. The whole head is what? Now we're in the metaphor of the disease. Now we're in the metaphor of the disease. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. So now we're going from the physiology to the heart, right? The head is sick and the heart is faint. Keep going. Notice what it says in verse six. From the sole of the feet, even to the head, there is no soundness in it. So the idea here is that there are wounds everywhere. There's no part of the body that's whole. Soundness in the Hebrew and in the Greek literally means whole. Does that make some sense? Right. Notice what he says. There's no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying swords. You can see Israel in this context looking like a leper, looking like Job. Remember Job? Looking like Job. Putrefying source. They have not been closed. Neither have they been bound up. Neither mollified with what? No physician has come to help. They're sick and they're helpless. Now we're going to talk about, I'm going to walk you through the Old Testament as I'm doing. We're almost there. We got to talk about why it is that the community of the believer will be in this kind of wretched condition and stay that way. Why isn't there a physician coming to heal? That's a good word, isn't it? Particularly if we make application to what these sicknesses are at the spiritual level. 
<clears throat> so this is the way Isaiah lays out this language. And of course, Isaiah is going to speak even more fully to it as we work our way through it. Here is where we will begin to consider it. We're in Isaiah chapter six, verse 10, Isaiah chapter six. This is where I want to start. And I might go back to Isaiah six, verse six. This is where Isaiah has a cousin. <clears throat> His name was King Uzziah. King Uzziah died. These are the Judite kings. These are the sons of David. King Uzziah died. And when King Uzziah died, the heavens opened up and Isaiah saw a vision of the glory of the Lord. Do you guys know the text? Right. So uh, then flew one of the seraphim unto me, Isaiah says, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken off the tongs from the altar. Verse seven. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, lo, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is what? Right. So can I make a little commentary here? Isaiah is a prophet right along with all the other prophets speaking to a community of people who are sick with sin. Is that right? But Isaiah is admitting that he's also sick with sin. And because he confesses his sickness, the seraphim comes and gives him a hot coal off the altar and that hot coal purges his iniquity. See what I'm getting at? Right. The difference between Isaiah and the people is that Isaiah confessed his sin and the people have not. Did that come home? Verse seven. Uh, Yeah. Verse eight. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I sin? Who will go for us? Then he said, here am I. Do what? Send me. Now listen to the next two verses. And tell me, does these two verses not push us forward into the New Testament? And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but what? Perceive not. Now, who said that in the New Testament? Jesus did. Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, in the parable of the sower and the seed. Did he not? He said it twice. Isaiah is talking about the same people that Jesus is talking about. Isaiah said that 750 years before Jesus, Jesus says it's 750 years after Isaiah and the people are in the same condition. So I want you to stay with me. Notice what he says in verse 10. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and be converted and be what? Do you see it? Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? Not quite. I love the difference between the old and the new. The new is in the Hebrew. The, uh, the new is in the Greek. The old is in the Hebrew. And there are often subtle little nuanced differences. Let's look at Matthew chapter 13 briefly, and then we'll, we'll, we'll come back here. I love the way Isaiah put it because Isaiah is emphasizing uncleanness and disease. But listen to the way Jesus puts it. In uh, Matthew's gospel, as he deals with it in Matthew chapter 13, we want to briefly look at this rendition of it because it's there. I'm in Matthew 13 and I'm at verse 14. Um, I'm going to start at verse uh, 13. Therefore, speak I to them that is to Israel in parables because they seen what? See not. And hearing they hear not. Neither do they what? If we were to press into the Greek grammar, they are seen, but they do not want to see. They are hearing, but they do not want to hear. You guys got it? 
neither do they understand. Verse 14. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which said, by hearing, you shall hear and you shall not understand. And seeing, you shall see and shall not perceive. And the idea of perceiving is penetrating into it in order to understand it. So you got to perceive it before you understand it. They don't understand it and they don't what? Perceive it. Right. We've talked about this set of categories of penetrating into ideas and truth claims and being able to comprehend what's in front of us. We've talked about this many times. Look at verse uh, 15. For this people's heart is wax gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes, they have what? Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should what? Heal them. Now, who says this? Jesus did. Do you guys see that? Now, Jesus is actually saying that he was the one back in Isaiah's day saying it because he's saying it now. Y'all got that? So watch this. Jehovah sitting on the throne in Isaiah chapter six is Jesus. Jesus tells Isaiah, Isaiah, go to this people, tell them they are willingly rejecting me. That's 750 years before Jesus, right? Then here comes Jesus. And guess what they're still doing? Willingly rejecting him. Y'all got that? Now, there's a whole lot of story between Isaiah chapter six and Matthew 13. I only want to deal with a few more because I want you to be sensitive to the concept of healing when we look at the New Testament, okay? I want you to be able to have that sensibility. To me, this is remarkable. The Lord Jesus is on the throne. We call him the pre-incarnate Christ because he hasn't assumed his human nature yet, but he still exists, does he not? Right, when he tells the disciples, I am come from my father, he wasn't saying I had my beginning then. He always existed. And then he came into the world assuming a human nature. But he was from everlasting to everlasting. This is why they wanted to kill him, because he made himself equal with God. It's very important for us to know that. Uh, Very important for us to know that was the fundamental controversy. I love this text that I'm about to go to. This is Isaiah chapter 57, verses 15 through 19. Are you guys bored right now? Good, because I want us to understand what's going on textually around healing. And then we will have some conversation uh, in a little bit around where we are in our society and the afflictions that are going on in our world, because they are going on in our world right now as we speak. For thus said the high and the lofty one, that's God, right? And God inhabits eternity. That, that, that's a language that really is a lip seen expression that constitutes the incomprehensibility of God, meaning that God cannot be contained. There are no parameters around him. If he inhabits eternity, there's no beginning and there's no ending. There's no starting point and no ending point. Y'all got that? This is a beautiful concept about God whose name is holy. Now notice this high and lofty God who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Notice what he says. I dwell in the high and the holy place with him also that is of a, here it is, contrite and what? Humble spirit. There's your paradox. High and holy, contrite and humble. That's your paradox. The high and holy does not hang out with high people. The high and holy hangs out with humble and contrite. Right. Who are these two adjectival expressions a description of? 
Jesus. Humble and contrite. But they were alluded to in David, weren't they? Because David was being humble and contrite too. And whoever will be humble and contrite can know that you get an audience with the high and the holy God. That makes sense. That makes sense. All God wants us to do is tell the truth and hit your knees. And people will go to hell before they do that. Notice, this is a, they're the one that is of a contrite and humble spirit. And here's what God is there to do, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the one. That's God. He's ready to do what? What does they call that? CPS? CP what? CPR. Here you are dying. God's ready to revive you. Yeah. He's ready to revive you. He's ready to revive you. That's, that's what God said. Isn't that why Jesus came to the Jews? Right. Look at verse 16. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be angry. If I should do that, everybody dies. For the spirit should fail before me in the souls that I have made. You see him reasoning through? If I keep punishing, everybody's going to hell. That's what he's saying. If he just keeps continuing, we can't win with God. Do you guys know that? God's the one smiting us. That's what Israel learned. You, you fight with God, he smites. You fight, he smites. That's Hosea 6.1. God has wounded us. This is, where, this is when you confess your sins. I'm getting ready to teach you that. Verse 17. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, there it is. Notice what it says in verse 17. For the iniquity of his covetousness was I angry with him, and I what? Smote him. Did you see what I'm saying? I hid me, and I was angry. And he went on frowardly in the way of his heart. What is God saying? Even though he smote Israel, and then hid from Israel. Hiding his face means he's no longer showing favor. Israel still continue in his wicked ways. Oh, how bad Israel is. Y'all know better, don't you? Look at verse 18. I have seen his ways. God sees the end. And notice what he says. And I will heal him. You see it? I have seen his ways and I will heal him. This here is unmitigated mercy, isn't it? This is unmitigated mercy, right? And, and this is important for you to capture because when God says, and I will heal him, you know what God is saying? I will send my son. That has to be it, isn't it? Isn't that what it has to be? This is, we are Christians, aren't we? So we're not talking about some kind of mystical healing. We're talking about the healing of our soul and the total salvation of our being. Are we not? All right. So notice what he says. I will heal him also and restore comforts unto him and to his what? Right. His mourners. Listen, his mourners, the people that were looking at him as if he were dead. Remember, God's doing CPR. And God's also healing the body. Don't you know that's what God did to you? You were dead in trespasses and sins. And God did spiritual CPR. He revived you. And then God has been in the process of healing your wretched life up to now, bringing comfort to our soul in our yet brokenness. This is true, isn't it? This is true. Verse 19. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is afar off and to him that is near, saith the Lord. And I will what? 
heal him. That's God's resolve. I want to take you to a few more verses before we go on. And because what I want you to understand when we get into the verses in the Gospels where Jesus is healing, I want you guys to see all of the New Testament stuff in light of this backdrop. Does that help you? Right. He didn't just come healing, you know, arbitrarily. There was a long history of rebellion and God working with his people to get them to see their need. And we already see in Isaiah that God has resolved to send Jesus now. Right. Got to send him because if he don't send him, they're headed to hell, as is the case for all of us. This is going to be unusual, but it's going to help. Jeremiah chapter eight, verse 11. Look at Jeremiah 8, 11. Jeremiah is right behind uh, Isaiah. Jeremiah's in the seventh century, sixth century, seventh century, sixth century. He'll be around when, uh, when uh, the Assyrians take the 10 northern tribes. He'll be around when the Babylonians take the two th- southern tribes. Um, for, here's, here's Jeremiah under the inspiration of the Spirit actually addressing the guilt of the preachers of his day. Notice what they say. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying what? Peace, peace, when there is what? Right. So when your preachers are saying everything's going to be all right and God has not said everything is going to be all right, it's leaving the people sick. Did that make some sense? This is God's view. See, you don't heal anybody that when you tell them peace, peace, when they're walking in stark rebellion against God. There's no healing there. They might be glad that you tried to comfort them in the flesh. But what God says is your healing was false. It's called slight healing. Does that make some sense? Right. So uh, uh, verse 20, Jeremiah 8, 20. I want to keep going. Jeremiah 8, 20, I believe is the one that I want to see. Um, Jeremiah 22. Um, I'll start here, though. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we are what? It's the metaphor. It's the metaphor of seed time and harvest. So you sow your seed in order to have a harvest. And at the harvest, if there's no harvest there, then there was no produce. There was no fruitfulness. There was no germination of the seed, no springing forth of the blade and the stock inside the blade. And Israel now is admitting that they're suffering the judgment of God. They truly are. Jeremiah will see God's judgment come upon Israel. They're coming to Israel as Jeremiah's preaching, like it's coming to us. All right. Like, like it's coming to us. And, and what Israel was doing then is what Israel is doing now, which is what we're doing. We're acting like it's not coming. Now notice what it says in verse 21. For the hurt of the daughter of my people am I hurt. This is Jeremiah. I am black. Astonishment has taken hold of me. This is what Jeremiah is doing. Jeremiah is recognizing all of the years that he's been preaching. They have not been listening. And every year that he preaches, he sees the Assyrians coming. And now he sees his people being taken into captivity and it's hurting him. It ought to. This is your family. Y'all went to church together for 20 years. Now you see them as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. See what I'm getting at? Right. So so rebellion and disobedience against God is a slow, long term thing. But it's absolutely sure. God is not what? He's not mocked. All right. So the uh, next verse is verse 22. Notice what it says. Is there no balm in Gilead? 
Is there no what? Is there no healing? That's our Hebrew word. I want you to get that. Because healing is the gift of the spirit given to his people to be spiritual physicians. Y'all keeping up with me? Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is not the health of the daughter of my people what? Recover. Now there are all kinds of preachers in Israel. God says they ran, but I did not send them. They're all saying, thus saith the Lord, but the Lord has not said thus. And therefore the people are not healed. This is a crazy indictment because the physicians that are in Israel's day are what Job called miserable physicians because they can't heal. Remember, that's the woman with the issue of blood. She spent all her money and only got worse. Right. It's a very simple reason, but I want to take you through more scriptures before we deal with this. So I love this. Jeremiah is under all kind of angst because he sees his people suffering. The next book I want you to go to is Hosea chapter five, verse 13. Hosea is really going to get into it. You think Jeremiah's passionate. Hosea something else. This is what God says, for I will be unto Ephraim as a what? And as a young lion to the house of Judah, I even I will tear and then go away. I will take away and none shall what? God is occupying the position of being a lion. The lion that all Israel of Judah and Jerusalem knew was the Babylonian kingdom. What God was saying is, I will be in the Babylonians when they come. And he's using the metaphor of Israel being sheep without a shepherd. So when the lion comes, he can have his way. Do you see the metaphor? I don't have to unpack that. Y'all got that, right? It's simple. The spirit of God is working tonight. Can you see it? So what God is simply saying is, because you have refused to come to me, I'm the good shepherd and you've rejected coming to me. Now you're going to be wide open to the lion. And I'm going to be in that and I'm going to explain to you why, because I got about 10 minutes before we do Q&A. For I will be unto them as a lion. I will tear and go away. I will take away and none shall rescue. What does that mean? They will try to go to the other nations for help. But it will be to no avail. Look at the next verse, verse 15. I will go and return to my place until they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. You see it? This is the way God is reasoning through his prophet. Look at verse. Okay, I'll leave that right right there. Look at chapter seven, verse one. A few more with Hosea. And then I'm going to explain to you why God is dealing so severely with Israel and why the metaphor is always about tearing and rending and sickness. When I would have healed Israel... Then the iniquity of Ephraim was what? And the wickedness of Samaria, for they have committed falsehood and the thief cometh in and the troop of robbers do what? Guess what God is saying? I would have healed them. But every time I turned around, they were doing something else atrociously wicked. Right. There's a lot to learn in this about discovery, because God is now using the analogy of being a kind of lawyer penetrating into the case to see if the case can be remedied. But every time he penetrates deeper into it, he finds more crime. Yeah. Sounds just like my government. 
Yes. You think it's only this much and when you penetrate into it, it's way more. This is what God is saying about Israel. Now, you know, God always knew, but he's using the metaphor of a lawyer that's actually investigating the crime, an investigator, right? That's what he's doing. And, 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 and if you and I infer from this text what we should, God has come to Israel and says, hey, I have an indictment against you. You want to sit down and work this out? And Israel said, what, what, what? I haven't done anything wrong. Does that sound familiar? I'm not guilty of any crimes. You've been misinformed, God. And then God continues to work through the affidavit, work through the material, work through the text, work through the emails, work through all of the IRS papers and go, whoa, you've been acting a fool for years. Now, do you want to sit down? And they go, no, no, I'm good. My lawyers will get me off. That's the nation I live in. Right now. Some of y'all know you're keeping up enough to know what I'm saying. That's the nation I live in. This is why people don't want the Bible to be taught because it's so explicit, isn't it? Verse 11. Verse 11. Ephraim is also like a silly dove without heart. How come? They call to Egypt. Then they go to Assyria. What does that mean? They refuse to call on God. See it? They refuse to call on God. This is so wild. I love the way God puts this. They refuse to call on God. The, uh, the next verse that I want us to see is in chapter 11, verse 3. Hosea chapter 11, 3. Here it is. I taught Ephraim also how to go. I took them by their arms. You guys see that first line, first two lines? This is the tenderness of a God who brought them out of Egyptian bondage. And he held them by the hand as he walked them to the promised land, taking them by their hands. Ready? But they knew not that I had healed them. Raise your hand if you want an interpretation. There you go. You should, you should ask. Don't, don't go like, mm, I got it, when you don't have it. This is Israel coming out of Egypt. And God saying in Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord that healed you. And they're complaining and moaning and groaning and murmuring all the way. And acting like God has not healed them. Y'all got that? They're acting like they have not been healed. So if I make an application across this, it would be you and me complaining about God's goodness in our life. And having issues with God at every turn because God's not doing what we want him to do. When God has delivered our raggedy souls from hell. See what I'm getting at? Can y'all see that? So this is, this is anthropomorphic term. God uses anthropomorphic language to let you know he understands what you're doing. God's not so transcendent that he's a far off, that cannot, he cannot understand your thoughts or your ways. He does understand your thoughts and your ways. And he will use human language to let you know that you can't hoodwink him. They did not know that I healed them. Because see, if they would have known that God healed them, they would have been rejoicing. Now, why is it that Israel never was healed because they weren't healed when Jesus was there? They were back in the land. They were prospering. They were enjoying Roman privileges, weren't they? But they didn't know Messiah. So they didn't know their physician, did they? 
Here's the reason why. You got to know the reason why. We're almost there. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 27 through 35. Why am I taking you to Deuteronomy? Because in our, in our Sunday services, we're, we're just about done. We'll be right about done with our excursion through the Old Testament, arise, move, and go, because, you know, we're coming into the holiday seasons and we're getting ready to do all of the Christmassy stuff. So it'll be just right, right up. I got about seven messages to go for us to be done with our rise, move, and go. And of course, we're moving into the new year and uh, we, we got to find a new theme. God has to show us what to think about for next year. Um, So notice what it says. The Lord will smite you. He's speaking to Israel. Do you see it? Now notice what he says with the botch of Egypt. Now, this was before Israel even got into the land. They're, They're at the brink of Jordan. They're supposed to cross over. And God gave them a set of uh, decrees in the book of Deuteronomy. One of them was a decree of blessing and a decree of cursing. In the decree of blessing, it falls out this simple. If you do what I say, nobody will touch you. If you don't do what I say, everything you saw Egypt experience when I went there to get you out, all that's coming on you. That's pretty easy to see, isn't it? And the reason why it's going to come on them is because they're functioning like they are children of, of Egypt. And they're functioning like children of Egypt because they are. Even though Jehovah brings them out, their heart is still in Egypt. That's Psalm 87. That's Psalm 106, Psalm 107. They turn back from the Lord. They would not keep his covenant. See, God has given them a covenant, right? He get ready to bring them into a new home with, with new resources, with a large expansion. And all he's saying is, hey, you know, just do a few things I'm telling you to do. And we cool. I'm walking in before you. The angel of the Lord is going to go in before you. I'm going to fight your battles for you. I want you to worship me. You shall have no other gods before me. It would seem so reasonable, except sin. Do you see it? So let's walk this through because I want you to be able to go. My pastor taught me the reason why the curse came on them and the reason why the curse comes on us is because we're covenant breakers. Y'all got that? So he says in verse 27, and we're going to verse 35, the Lord will smite you with a botch of Egypt and with the emeralds. Anybody know what the emeralds are? All right, see, this is why y'all don't know y'all Bible. Y'all just know y'all Bible. This here has everything to do with the genitals. Okay, this has everything to do with the genitals. Yes, and with the scabs. And with, do y'all know anything about scabs? Stop. You're Americans. We've been dealing with diseases since the 60s. Have we not? Herpes, gonorrhea, syphilis. Stop. I've been teaching this. God is my witness. I've been teaching this since I started preaching. We are neo-Israelites. And the same plagues that are on Israel are on us in America right now. Y'all hearing me? God doesn't change. He doesn't change. Emrods. I bet you some brothers know what emrods are. I bet you some sisters know what the scab is with the itch. Whereof thou cannot be healed. See, herpes complex two and three and four and 10 and 20 doesn't go away, does it? It may hide, recede, and under enough stress, boop, pops back out. Is that true? That's what God is saying. 
Now, people will say, well, that's genetic. It's epigenetic. No, it's not. The only reason it's epigenetic is because we've been healed falsely by false medicine that does not actually cure you, i.e. Pope Fauci and many others in the pharmaceutical industry that gives you medicines that don't ever cure you. Can I tell the truth? Can I tell the truth? Because it's so. The pharmaceutical industry is a false savior and has always healed the people slightly. Now, they can't take me off of Facebook now because I've been off. 72 nations have already gotten rid of me, so I don't even care. We can tell the truth now, right? Can we tell the truth? I mean, you, 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 go, to, uh, you go to Walgreens or you go to, uh, I don't even know, CVS, and you go buy the ointment. You, you know, you sneak and you buy the ointment. You rub it on. You know that. And you hope, oh, I hope it works. I hope it works. And then look like something go away. And then a week later, there it is again. Because it's a deeper penetrating wound that requires a more severe cure. Am I making some sense? And you're too humble, you're too proud to be humble to actually admit that your wound is deeper than you want to acknowledge. Right. Verse 8, verse 28. I'm going to walk this through. The Lord shall smite you with madness. Is that what we're dealing with in our land? And blindness. Is that what we're dealing with? And astonishment of heart. That's what we're dealing with all over the world. Madness. People are mad. I mean, violently mad. I saw, I saw a situation. Some of you guys saw it. I sent it out. Happened in, in uh, Bronx, New York. With a the, with the social justice activist. He was hanging out at the bus stop with his girlfriend. How many of you guys saw that one? Yeah. It was dreadful. The young brother, 18 years old. Y'all saw it? Dreadful. We know he was demon possessed. It doesn't matter. He was ill. He was sick. And the young man had no discernment. He followed him. Now, he didn't provoke him, but he followed him. And he followed him unprepared. You don't do that in the hood. In the hood, we mind our own business. Unless you run up on us. And then we know we got to take it to the next level or whatever level. Because, listen, my brothers know how to poke. And they will poke you so quick, you won't even see it coming. Am I making some sense? Right. And this is where you got to be sober. Everything ain't your business. And everybody is not going to have a conversation at 340 a.m. in the morning. And that young brother said, why are you following me? Who do you think you are following me? Didn't he warn him? Why are you following me? See, this is where you got to make right decisions. Am I making some sense? That man lost his life right there. It was so quick. He was delusional in thinking he could actually assess the situation and have a conversation with a man who was not to be reasoned with. That brother was not to be reasoned with. There are some people you don't reason with. You go the other way. That's why I tell my daughters all the time, stop acting like we're not in danger. That's what just happened a couple of days ago to our people on the other side of the water. Isn't Isn't that what happened? It was a delusion that thinking that you are free. You're not free. 
You're in a war. All right. The Lord shall smite you with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. This is where we are today as well. Astonishment of heart. People are utterly discombobulated. They don't know what to think. They don't know what to do. Verse 29. And, you know, even in this small group of people here in our room, I have a number of ethnic groups here. And I already know y'all come from very tough neighborhoods where we came from. And all this crazy is in all those places, isn't it? It's among our Latina brother, our Salvadorian brother, our, our Honduran brother. It's all there among our African-Americans, among our Asians, among, among our Middle Easterners. It's all there, isn't it? All this crazy stuff is there. Among our Jamaicans, and I've been to all those places. The hood is the same everywhere when the lid is let off and the spirit of darkness prevails. It's the same everywhere. And you have to be prudent when you walk those neighborhoods. You shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness and you shall not prosper in your ways and you shall be only oppressed and spoiled evermore. And no man shall save you. Verse uh, 30. We're walking this through. You shall betroth a wife and another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house and you shall not dwell therein. You shall plant vineyards and shall not gather the grapes thereof. We're moving, sis. Your ox shall be slain before your eyes. That means your business is gone. This is economic language. Your ox shall be slain before your eyes. You shall not eat thereof. Your ass shall be violently taken away from before your face. By the way, the government's taking that away. Okay, so just please understand what's going on there. And shall not be restored to thee. Your sheep shall be given unto your enemy and you shall have no rescue. This is called reparations is what's going on in my country right now. Do you understand what I mean by that? Reparations. This is why you got such a demographic shift going on in our world right now. And everything is coming down. This is your Marxist tear it all down syndrome. It's demonic behind the scenes, but our government knows what it's doing. It's called deconstruction. This is why... This is why the unhinged get to tear up everything. That's called reparations. Did y'all get that? They get to tear up your house, tear up your car, tear up your business, tear up your, your, your environment, tear up your city. They get to do that and the police are not doing anything about it. You got it? This here was the BLM walking around talking about reparations. Now they're, they're getting it. What people are not understanding, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you the truth. We have been invaded. A whole new ideological construct is governing the policies of our country. And we're blind to it, aren't we? We're blind to the invasion. I I was talking to someone today. And they were saying, something's going on. I said, really? (laughs) Really? Now, here's what I'm going to say. And I'm going to be talking about this on my Monday show. This person sees something, but they don't know what they see. Did you hear what I just stated? They see something, like a lot of people see something, but they don't know what they see. Here's the next level. So you get it free. Many times I told you, you know, if you come out on Friday, you get the blessing. People see it, but they don't care. Do you got that? Some people don't see it. Some people do see it. Some people see it, but they don't care. That's exactly the way the government wants it. 
You have to know that. They want everybody to be careless. That's what we are. Three more verses, then we'll do some Q&A. We'll come back on Tuesday, and you guys will be glad for me to be in the New Testament. (laughs) Verse 33. Oh, verse 32. Okay, your sons and your daughters shall be given unto another people, slaves, and your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long because you lose your kids. Didn't that happen in the microcosm recently? And there shall be no might in your hand. This is crazy. Verse 33. The fruit of your land and all your labor shall a nation which you know not eat it up. And you shall be only oppressed and crushed always. Verse 34. So that you shall be mad for the sight of your eyes, which you see. This is really, and see, this is called psychological warfare. I made a quip last Sunday, didn't I? Toward the end of the study. I had no idea what was coming down. I did this before 9-11 too. And then 9-11 happened. I had no idea what's coming down because it happened after Sunday, didn't it? I had no idea. I, I, don't, I, you know, I do know some people in high places. I do. But I, had, I wasn't giving you like a peep peep because I knew something beforehand. Uh, it was just a word of knowledge. Do you understand? And those things come. And then all of a sudden things happen. This has happened with me many times. It's uncanny. And... Um, When we talk about you shall be mad for the sight of your eyes, which you shall what? It's because the enemy knows how to create optics to make sure you see. I talked about that on Sunday, didn't I? What if the cameras are set up? What if the light shades are set up? What if the props are set up? What if people are set up? What if scenarios are just perfect enough to create a transfer of information and data all around the world? to get inside people's heads and to produce in them a madness too. Because the goal is to keep you emotionally disheveled. Because when you're emotionally disheveled, you can't think logically, critically, or rationally. Am I making some sense? And then our foolish politicians come in with their left-right narrative. And they want you to be on the left or on the right, because once you're on the left or the right, you can't see. It's right on top. The only way to see the big picture is to have a bird's eye view. I told you that. While you're operating out of a horizontal dilemma, you're, you're way, you're too far off the sphere of the circle to see the truth. I shared this with you guys back when COVID started, and I was telling you they were lying to us then. And of course, you know, media will tell you that we're lying when they're lying, because that's a tactic too. Because to tell the truth with any kind of effectiveness, you actually have to be willing to suffer. So a lot of people will know what the truth is, but they're not going to talk about it because you pay a price for that. So this is just a metaphor. This is just a a diagram or a kind of paradigm. So what's the benefit of this ratio of dimension is that this party, party on the right and the party on the left, they can actually see each other. Does that make sense? They can see each other. Do you see it? But the further you go into your extremes, now you can't see. You got that? Y'all keeping up with me? Right, and the goal is to get you a far right and far left. 
and you're controlled by puppet masters up here creating all that. Right. Creating all that. And the way that you and I in the momentum and the trajectory are pushed further this way and through that way is by hostility. By anger. Y'all got that? Can I give you a little bit more? Right. So there are two emotional qualities and there are two sides of the same coin. And it's very important to get. Here's the metaphor. Um, when we get heated, we are more inclined to actually serve as a variant and as a contradiction. Hostility at the heated capacity detracts. Did that make some sense? Don't nobody want to run up on a raging fire. The believer is not called to be heated up like that. The believer is called to be warm. Because warmth attracts. Warmth attracts. Did you get that? I don't want to be hot, irrational, emotional, uh, carnal. I want to be warm That is, I want to be passionate in a way that it attracts. It leads people together. Like, I'm not losing my mind right now, but I am warm. Are you hearing me? I am warm. I'm not ready to go out there and hurt no one. I'm ready to see some reconciliation. See what I'm getting at? Right. So the enemy knows how to actually move the thermometer to create enough heat that we become adversaries. He's been doing that from the beginning. This is why I tell you as real biblical based Christians, overcome the false dichotomy of the black, white, left, right. He, she, male, female, overcome all that. That's not the landscape that's going to give you the clearest view. See what I'm getting at? So the Bible would tell you and I to remain sound in our mind. The Bible would tell us that the wisdom of this world is filled with anger. Fools rage with anger, the proverb says. A wise man uses discretion and prudence and judgment. And to do that, you have to have temperance and self-control. That's the fruit of the spirit, is it not? Right. The fruit of the spirit is not raging fire and flames. The only person that can actually handle that properly is God. What we do need to have, though, is a passionate heat that has the capacity to draw. And that's what that burning bush was doing for Moses. It drew him. That's the kind of persons that you and I want to be. All right. I've been way overdue. Anybody got any questions? Raise your hand if you got questions. If not, I'm going to shut you down. Okay, I need somebody to run right quick. Come on, Giannis, thank you for your contribution. We'll spend a few minutes and then get out of here. I got two questions, and maybe we'll take a third one, and then we'll call it a wrap. Raise your hand, sweetheart. Remember, I told you these, this is, there you go. And then we're going to start with the feet, with my sister over here. Anybody else before we get going so I can can lock it down? We knocked these three out. We're good. All right. Go ahead on, sis. You're good. Okay. So um, one of the the four questions that you asked last week, Mm -hmm. um, something that you said that kind of 
Yeah. Irritated me, I guess I can you say. You got to keep the mic When up. you said um, that America saw the attack on Israel as their 911. And the first thing I thought about that was, so what did I believe about the 911 that happened here? I believe that it was from America. So if that's their attack, what does America have to do with Israel being attacked? Um, and then another one of the questions I wanted to ask was, well, you asked. I'm sorry. Can it happen in America? Can it happen here? And the question is, yes, from 911 and then COVID and then what's going on right now. So it's still happening right now with everything that's going on if we pay attention. And it's not in just one area. It's in multiple areas where we've been attacked. Um, and a lot of us don't see it that way, but we are. So that's, that's all. Very good. So I'm going to make a little bit of adjustment on the way you're framing it. It's not that you're wrong, but I want you to frame it a little better. So... Um, Israel and America are attached at the hip. I've told you that. Just like Jerusalem, Judah, and Ezekiel 20, 16 through 22. The parallels are uncanny, okay, for so many reasons. And when the newspapers intentionally said that this was Israel's 9-11, and they repeated it. I didn't say that. They said that. Remember, that's a rhetorical propagandized clue. That's a rhetorical propagandized clue. That's what they do. You have to know media does that. It does it for people who actually understand that phrasing, and it does it to mock people who don't get it. That's how the enemy works. He says a lot of things, and he puts a lot of clues out, and we miss them either on purpose or because we're careless and not paying attention. So he let us know. The powers that be let us know that what we want to be thinking is that Israel is going through their own 9-11 like we went through. And it, it is hoping to generate the kind of false impression that many people had when 9-11 occurred for us. Because there is still a fairly healthy constituency of Americans that actually believe what happened was somehow we was all asleep at the wheel. The FBI wasn't working with the CIA and the CIA wasn't working with the DOD and just, it's just it, everybody was asleep, just like what happened with Israel. Like, actually, that's impossible to believe uh, for rational people. And then if you were to go through, and I'm not going to talk to you about it, the 9-11 Commission. The 9-11 Commission would give you even more uh, resolve to know that something went wrong badly on, in, on purpose. Okay? And we already know that our precedents have always stated, as is the Gramscian uh, soft Marxist position, that we never let a good crisis go to waste. We already know that. See, our government has said it over and over again, so if people don't listen, that's on them. This is not conspiracy theory. There's nothing going on in our world that doesn't have a prepared response on the part of the powers that be. You just have to know that. Can I ask you one more question? I meant to bring this up. And I'm not sure if it's true. It's just a question. Is it a possibility if we go to war... World War III, which we kind of there now, or even if America end up with um, Iraq in war, would that stop the election and 
the left will stay in control of power until all that. It could be years later. Is that true? That's possible. That's the question you're raising. It's not if it's true or not. It's, it's the question that you're raising. Is that possible? Yes, yeah, it's possible. One hundred percent. One hundred percent possible because our, our people in America actually don't know that we're no longer under constitutional law. How many times have I been telling you guys? Have, have y'all been listening to me? I told you we are no longer under constitutional law. Our, our, our government does not abide by the Constitution. Have, I, have, have y'all heard me say that? Is it the first time I'm saying this to you guys? Right. And, and, and this is not hard to prove. If you just do a little work, you can tell that the Department of Justice is, is derelict in its duty. The executive branch is acting like a uh, puppet. Executive branch is your presidency. Is acting like the puppet of your oligarchs and your plutocrats way up top, your corporate powers. And that's what they are. Everybody knows this. Um, uh, and this has been going on for many, many presidencies. And, and it was Eisenhower who told you. Eisenhower told you. Um, uh, uh, London B. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson also told you. He warned. They both warned as well as Robert F. Kennedy. Robert F. Kennedy gave the most eloquent speech to let us know the surreptitious nature of uh, what we call the senior administrative state. And they govern everything largely, even though you got the left-right playing games in, in, in Washington, you get to watch it on C-SPAN. and It's, it's entertaining. There's no doubt about it. You, you, Rand Paul will get up there and he'll go at it with Fauci. And I'm like, go, Rand, go, or, 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 or McCarthy, or, or Jordan. Jordan is good. Isn't he good? Go, Jordan. Go, boy. He's just spitting it out. You can just see fire coming out of his nostril. And nothing happens. We're not dumb. So let me share it with you before we go to our next one. Yeah, so, so most, of the, um, most of the honest advisors... And you have a lot of good advisors in our country and in our world, people who have worked at the highest levels of government who are not going to lie to the American people. And because we have media outside of your legacy media outlets, and they're very good media, I expose you guys to that all the time, um, we've got people on the inside and on the outside. These are called whistleblowers. Our government hates whistleblowers. How come? Because whistleblowers tell you what's going on on the inside. Now, our government is not going to fall apart by even what I'm saying. <clears throat> First of all, because I, don't, I can't reach anybody hardly now because they shut us down. Um, but people are doing exactly what I'm doing with the greatest of clarity, alacrity, and, and depth of analysis. They're doing that. And far more competently than me. And, and I enjoy listening to them actually unpack what's going on, okay? I mean, I'm talking about people who have just come out of the DOJ, just come out of the CIA, just come out of the FBI. These are human beings. It's like a human being is a person that can't just know what they know and don't say it to somebody. All right? And this is why you can't really suppress the truth forever, this is what they hate about the Bible, because the Bible shows you that you can suppress the light for a minute, but it's going to break out at some point. And so a little bird is going to always tell the matter. And until 
we have reached a state of singularity. And that is artificial intelligence being able to completely control the platforms of, of uh, information. Until that occurs, you're going to always have these channels of information spouting the truth. Did that make some sense? Yeah. And while you do, your job is to listen to them. Your job is to listen to them. And your job is to listen more carefully to what your government says. Because our people are careless when they're listening. If you listen to your government, you will hear them lying to you. If you listen carefully, you'll go, oh, he just lied. But we have the the archives of liars going all the way back again, so many. Um, But they don't care about you and I knowing they lie. This is going to be my opening monologue on Monday, and I'm going to share it with you. The government does not care that you know Because the government knows that you don't care that you know. Did you get that? If I were building a a Greek Greek diagram of that, that would be a chiism in Greek grammar. It would be like, whosoever shed man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. The government doesn't care that you know that they're doing what they do because they know that you don't care enough about what they do. Did that make some sense? So they'll, this is where Plato has said this is what happens when conspiracy is open because they feel like they have enough leverage to actually do what they're going to do in spite of the fact that people know. Does that make some sense? Right. The thing that I want with people that listen to me, I mean, I don't care if you don't listen to me, uh, but what I want people to do is to know. I, I, I don't want to be guilty as many of these shepherds healing God's people slightly saying peace, peace when there is no peace. Um, even, if, even though that doesn't feel good to people in this present time. We aren't the only people that's going through the hell that we're going through. We ought to stop acting like we're some special people. This happened 40 years ago. And then 40 years before that. And then 40 years before that. And then 40 years before that. And then 40 years before that, are y'all hearing me? It's been happening from time immemorial. And that's why Christ said you're going to in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Quit acting like these kind of things are unfair. Your job in mine is to be a prophet and a priest. But we got to first know. So more to be said on Monday. Um, I want everybody to be extremely alert on your way out and on your way home because we've got all the fees. We know that somebody wants to act a fool tonight because it's Friday the 13th. So when you leave here, don't act like you're careless. Okay? Um, who has a, the next question? Who has, who has the mic? Okay, go ahead on, Craig. Deuteronomy 28, verse 63. Is this verse saying that when it says the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you, is that kind of like a revenge thing? What do you mean revenge? So you're a teacher. So fix that. Well, in verse 62, it's talking about because they would not obey. Mm -hmm. So that's the result of not obeying. But I'm I'm not understanding the rejoice part of it. Mm -hmm. I don't understand why the Lord is rejoicing over destroying you. That's a good way to put it. Right. Um, the Lord does take vengeance. 
Isn't that what the Bible says? Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Isn't that what the Bible says? This is the characteristic of God that people don't like too. God, everybody likes God to be a God of love, but not of holiness and justice. And that's the right reason why our country is going to hell. Um, you, you know why we struggle, you guys, with a, a God of justice? It's because we don't suffer enough. See what our brothers and sisters are dealing with right now who are waking up in Israel to the foolishness of them being sleep and blind and thinking that they could trust the, um, the surveillance system of their own country? See, they're going to be mad in a few days. Did you hear what I just stated? And they're going to be mad because they put their trust in the wrong place. They, they bought the lie that they were impenetrable like Americans buy the lie that we're impenetrable. We watched in the 70s and 80s, no, we watched in the 50s and 60s, America go all around the world and uh, terrorize nations. Yeah, we watched it. And um, good conscientious people spoke up about it and some went to jail. And if you're a politician, you were maligned and ridiculed as being unpatriotic. That's a bunch of propaganda BS. Did you understand what I just stated? You can be as patriotic as all get up and still say to King Herod, it is wrong for you to sleep with your brother Philip's wife. Did you hear what I just stated? Right. And so if we if we don't become, again, a people that love righteousness and hate wickedness, it's coming. In fact, it's already here. And we can turn our hatred towards one another, which is the propaganda of the neo-cultural Marxists. Remember, I told you they love to make white people hate black people and black people hate white and men hate women and children hate parents. All that's a distraction. None of that is the real issue. I love me some Roseanne Barr now. (laughs) I, I, I grew up watching her and her comedy and her satire. She is almost the equivalent of um, um, he'll come back in a minute black comedian you know who I'm talking about Um, no Um, he'll come back in a second he's he's, he's probably the highest ticket to date you know him Dave Dave Chappelle right so if you have the ability to not be silly and shallow, you can hear him. Yes. If, you're sh- if you're silly and shallow, you can't hear him. See, the comedian is a gift from God. Yes. Uh, and the comedian can frame and tell stories that common people can't. And when you listen carefully to him, you can hear the inferences of his recognition, his ability to actually equivocate between issues. And he's been dealing with issues over the last couple, two or three years that, that, that commend him. He's not saved, so he doesn't have to sound like a Christian. And, and because he's not saved, he can vacillate, you know, between uh, issues. But because he's a comedian and all comedians actually tell the truth in humor, um, he's able to frame it in ways and get it out there. And those of us who know how to not be shallow can capture it. And we go, okay, he told the truth. And every now and then they don't frame it as uh, coyly enough and then they get tagged too. 
Um, I, I only say that to say Roseanne has developed and matured over many years of being able to use satire to talk about real issues for decades. And then Jesus saved her. And she's Jewish. And so she got both sides of the equation going on. And uh, she just, um, um, she just, well, she's good. She's good. She's been through hell and back. If you know her story, you know that she was supposed to be dead as a little girl. And, uh, you know, when you know God has your back, you can be honest about things. And, and, and the Lord has helped her put the P's and Q's together. And uh, she's, she's right on the money, right over the bullseye, as I said. And uh, I'd rather be over the bullseye and not be liked than to be loved by everybody and be on my way to hell. Um, so um, this, is, this is where we are. Uh, Craig, with a verse like that, and that's not your only verse. There's plenty of verses like that. And those are verses that tell you and me not to wrestle with God at that height. The air is way too thin. It's way too thin. Does that make some sense to you guys? Right. When he says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts, as the heavens are high above the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. There, there's air that's way too thin for us. So when God advertises like he does in that way, using anthropopathic, that's anthropopathic language. That's not anthropomorphic language. That's anthropopathic language. That's the language of a human being with the passion of righteous justice against a person because of their sustained rebellion against his holiness. And see, you and I don't occupy the, um, the, uh, the, the predicates and characteristics to talk like that. Did that make some sense? In other words, you and I are still sinners. So we don't get to talk like that. We're not holy enough to talk about talk like that. The psalmist does talk like that in Psalm 109. I taught you guys that in the imprecatory prayer, but he's under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking for God, you know. And if you read Psalm 109, it's there, and there are a few other imprecatory psalms like that. But you and I don't do that. According to the apocalypse, we're under, under the altar simply crying, how long, how long, O Lord, before you take vengeance upon them who have shed our blood on the earth? That's the best you get to do because you're a sinner saved by grace. Am I making some sense? And we're not in glory yet. So we could actually mess up between now and then and God can shut our mouth and everything that we've said would have absolutely been disqualified because we have been proven to be a hypocrite. So the thing you and I want to be absolutely careful not to be a partaker of is some indignant self-righteousness as if we're pure and clean as the wind-driven snow. We are not. We need to be very careful to simply say, as it is written, I will have vengeance, saith the Lord, vengeance is mine. That makes sense. That makes sense. Who else has the mic so we can get out of here? Uh, okay, go on, go on, go on, brother. Um, based on some of the questions that you asked uh, last Tuesday. Yes. Um, and the sister addressed, can it happen here? And, you know, when I started to think about it, <clears throat> it's been happening here for quite some time. I can't remember if it was during the Reagan administration or prior to uh, the conversation about the New World Order. It was the Reagan administration, and then it was vocalized expressly by George H. Bush Sr. Okay. And so 
from that time uh, up till now, you always talk about um, psychological ops and And then what I see uh, as the psych ops mixed direction, so you're not paying attention to what's going on, yes. the formulation of the new world order, um, civil rights and the assassination of the leaders, um, the Oklahoma City bombing, 9-11, the pandemic, and all of those were to examine human behavior and our response to it. As a result of that, yeah, as a result of that, uh, you always talk about the Marxist uh, idealism those, these are some of the things that they actually used, you know, uh, to get people in line. The pandemic was the, <clears throat> the most effective because it actually separated the nation. And so people are not focusing on how all their rights have been stripped away and are continuing, uh, continually being stripped away. And as a result, what they have um, been indoctrinated into is having faith in a power outside of themselves that they consider to be their God, which is the government. And see, people don't, like you talk about going deep and paying attention to what you are hearing, we are all governors in our own little kingdoms. We're governors of our household, we're governors of our children, we're governors of their behavior and everything else. And when you realize that as a child of God, if you are self-governing, you're following his laws, you don't need a government to take care of you. So when you talk about it being a, an attack against God, that's exactly what it is. Because they want a socialist society, and I'm not sure if anybody has read this book, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, uh, are familiar with 1984 by George Orwell, uh, have seen movies like THX 1138, where you have societies where they tell you when to go to bed, what time to get up, what you're going to be eating, and then the latest thing that has happened, um, <clears throat> what is this? The executive order that um, uh, Biden signed, uh, 14067, you know, and it's about, um, what is this called? The central bank digital currency. You know, they're actually going to use that to monitor your behavior because other countries are already using it, like Japan, China, Brazil, and America. Actually, um, when Biden signed the bill, they actually had certain banks participate. I can't remember all of them, but I know that Wells Fargo was one. And um, so what they want to do is be able to print coins that digitally monitor what it is that you purchase. You know, and so they want to get you on a credit social system so they can control the economy. And if you do not spend on what they want you to spend on, then they devalue your currency. And then they exercise what, they, what I call uh, the four Ds. And uh, first they dismiss you. Um, then they discredit you. Then they demonize you so they can destroy you. And so they make you the victim or, or, or the, the enemy to the state. And when we think about states, we have to think about what that really means. Because a state of mind manifests a state of being. And so those are truly the only states. Um, what else is there? Um, as far as preparedness. 
somewhat, I am. Um, the whole Jim Rickards thing, he has um, this thing called, uh, what is it called? Um, asset emancipation. When I find more information out about it, you know, I'll be willing to share it because that's what it's about. Until People, you do, we aren't having that conversation. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not getting into it. That's why I said when I get more information, I but will share it. But you're on the mic now. Okay. Thousands okay. of people listening to you. Okay. <laughs> Forgive me. Mm -hmm. um, you, all, your, all your points were very good. And that's enough for, for, this, for this audience. Yes. And, and most people that are doing their homework are on point with you, um, obviously, in many ways. The preparation is, is a complex conversation to be had going forward, depending upon, you know, your own personal resources, your own personal habits, your own personal capacities. Um, there are a lot of people who won't have anything they can do, but that's because the system is already, you know, um, largely set up. It's 80% uh, set up as it is now. And, 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 and what I really mean by that is we are in fifth generation warfare, uh, and, and that is a DOD uh, document that has to do with psychological warfare, and you, you, get your, you get your targets controlled mentally and psychologically, and then you don't have to do all kinds of hard work that require you know, uh, collateral damage and, and attrition rates that are you know, intolerable. Um, that is Aldous Huxley. That is Brave New World. That is 1984. It is Marxism. It is totalitarianism. It is Stalin. It is Hitler. It is Mussolini. It is uh, New World Order. It is all of the oligarchs, oligarchs who understand how that system works. It is about control. Um, and it's not new. And, you know, we're having a conversation that the elites have always had under different terms and different names. This is, this is not new. You, all you have to do is look at the stock market and you will understand uh, in terms of corporatocracy who actually is running the banking industry in terms of how the money's work. Everything that, that uh, uh, Brother Rice has shared with you, Clarence, I've already told you guys over and over and over again. We've got a sister back there that needs to mic. I'll let her have the last word. Um, I've already talked to you guys about it. I, I feel like I do my public uh, service announcements every Monday as the opportunity rend renders it um, so that at least we're informed if we want to be. Um, there will be, by God's grace, people who will <clears throat> do the right thing throughout all of the stages. But what we can probably be sure of is that we are going to come under severe levels of control that are equivalent to the balloon test with COVID and, and even more. Um, you can almost be sure of that because that's just the trajectory for our economics. Our economic situation is so unstable that it's going to lead to that. But what will predicate that or precede that is another emergency, and it will probably be uh, a global war. This is what we're trending into, a world war. We're trending into that. That that's, is so obvious to most of us, and it's not accidental, okay? So um, if the powers that be have their way, there will be definitely an aborting of any legitimate 
uh, presidential race and therefore election. And the people won't have anything to say about it and we will be locked into um, a stalemate under martial law and, uh, and, and that could go in perpetuity because um, there's all kind of reasons why Mr. Trump cannot get back in. There's all kind of reasons because he actually knows what to do. And uh, if he were to get back in for some unforeseeable reason, he will do it because it's already it's already in play. He just got stopped before he could actually uh, implement it because it was the proverbial drain the swamp and processes were already taking place. And that's the only way you correct corruption. You got to cure it. You got to cure it. And and uh, and they're not going for it because they do want a global uh, world governance that they feel is the utopia and it's the dystopian nightmare of slavery and control. Um, and, and we need to we need to know that um, we need to know that. And um, without it being understood as inevitable um, or immutable, as I told you, never do that. Um, it is prophetically um, estimated. The Ten Horns will collaborate with the beast to make war with the Lamb and with those that are with him. And that war will be on. Okay, you just have to know that that's what Christ is saying. We're not going out of here peacefully. We have cycles, we have pregnancies, we have births of new uh, eras, and we just happen to be part of it. I've been seeing this ever since I was converted. When God opened my eyes, he opened my eyes during the Cold War. I was 19 years old, 18 or 19. I can't remember now, probably 18. But during the Cold War, he opened my eyes. And it was at that time when the apostate American church was all up in hoop laws with 1984 and late great planet Earth and and, uh, left behind, all of that BS. I cut my teeth on eschatology. This is why I challenge people on eschatological frameworks even now, because a lot of that was just uh, uh, made, bought, made, and sold in America and then marshaled around the world to make a ton of money to give people an escapist ideology that doesn't correspond with scripture. Okay, I just want you to, to know that. Um, and uh, we're back at it again. So you're going to be hearing prophecy buffs all online talking about, you know, dates and, and all that because, you know, as uh, W.C. Fields says, a sucker is born every second. And, and the Christian church is as much a sucker as anybody else because we don't want to read our Bibles and be serious about them. We're going to close with Leah. Uh, uh, I, used to, I worked for this elderly... I'm making a comment. Um, I worked for this elderly man uh, a few years ago, and his his saying um, his saying was, um, it's a French word, and it's uh, "say la guerre," yeah, which it means it's the war. Yeah, and he was saying because he, you know, because you know everything goes during the war, and I, you know, after this Hamas attack, um, Ham- whatever, Hamas. I decided to just think it's the war. Every crazy thing that's going on, say la guerre, it's yep. the war. Yep. So I, I'm, I'm purposely, you know, even my friends kind of get tired of me because I'm seeing things. Thank, I'm thankful for you because you taught me the gospel all these years and then with Marxism. So I'm seeing things through those two prisms. But, you know, with regards to the world, I'm, you know, I, I'm seeing everything 
through Marxism. And today, I was I took part in a grief, um, like something as basic as a grief counselling se- session because somebody recently passed away, and mm-hmm. they they told us to all get together and take part in this grief counselling se- se- session, which. Um, you know, the hospice arranged for a counsellor for everybody to get together and grieve. And to me, that was Marxism. You got the organised authority bringing people together to emote the way they want you to emote. And, um, and to me, I, I felt like I was in the twilight zone. And the lady at the end, she, you know, she gave us this exercise which was an exercise that um, Princess, Prince Harry uh, spoke about on um, Good Morning America, and it was the butterfly hug, you know, that they said that they used on um, veterans with PTSD, and you just tap, you know, you tap your shoulders and whatever it does to your brain. And, you know, and in my head, I was, you know, you know I had to recognise it the, um, people, my colleagues were sincerely grieving, but you know, in my, I had to also engage my mind to, you know, to recognise to see what it was. Like it was a good work, but behind it is actually an evil um, sp- spirit behind it. Because what to me, it, what it represented is like this is what um, the spirit of error is doing to replace a relationship with Jesus. It's just, you know, on a very basic level. And at the end of it, you know, the people, you know, they said, oh, it, you know, they were saying, oh, it really works. But then it made me realize going back to the, uh, to the Prince Harry um, item, news item, I realized that wasn't by accident him telling us about that little routine. Because all of these little things you know, little by little, it's, you know, it's to feed us in our minds that this is the way we're going to be grieving now and, you know, in organisation, collectively and according to where, how the powers of be want us to grieve and mourn. And anyway, that's, you know, in, in my head I thought, c'est la guerre, it's the war. Yeah, and c'est la guerre um, has been going on since the French Revolution. It never stopped. Most people that study history well know that we have been in the war even before the French Revolution. We can go way back. But let's just use the French Revolution because the French Revolution was such a debacle, but there was so much education that came out of it for uh, many of the uh, Marxist socialists at the time that all they did was reconstruct and reorganize, but the war is never over. For the uh, Marxists, the war isn't over until we reach singularity. I make, I'm combining um, socialism at its epitome with artificial intelligence technology because AI, when it reaches singularity, it will have all of the independent um, artificial uh, general intelligence systems working under one blockchain. And once it's working under one blockchain, which is not far from doing now, then basically humanity will have like an impossible task of being able to actually control it. And everything will be functioning according to massive algorithms around the world. And they will already be integrated in almost all of the functional um, uh, infrastructure that we all are a part of now. And so you're going to get used to robots talking to you everywhere because that's 
that is what is called soft tyranny. So right now we're in a soft tyranny in America. And, and whenever you're, and this is like a cult, I'll, I'll finish this up right here. And, you know, cause my experience, I've been in cults and a cult is like a python. And I've told you the python analogy before. A cult is like a python. It'll wrap itself around you as if it's protecting you because you are operating out of levels of vulnerability that they see that they can, as a predator, take advantage of. I've told you this before. A cult can be anything. A cult can be a, a, a man with his woman. He can be a cult leader of her or her with him. A cult can be parents over their children. Any of us can be as diabolical as Charles Manson or diabolical as Jim Jones. Jim Jones, we already know that was a psyop. We know that. Black people know that. I'm sorry. It's just really true. And we've got survivors of Jim Jones in our community. And we've talked about that. Our government doesn't do these kinds of big projects, whether they're religious or secular, without them being uh, psyops. Okay, to see how far you can lead people as dumb sheep down a path and then destroy them. Okay, so you, you, we know this. And again, what I told you is that the government does not care that you know because it knows that you don't care. Because in Brave New World, they've got pills to keep you happy. And people like being happy rather than being sober. And that's what our Jewish brethren were just caught off guard with. They wanted to party. They wanted to rave. And of course, the streets are filled with all of the San Francisco and New York stuff that we're fighting against because God is a holy God and immorality brings the curse. So Israel is not high and holy. Israel is no different than America. In fact, like I told you, you know, America is, is Israel's big sister and she's the little sister. She has some technological skill sets that are alarming because everything that has to do with a culmination of evil in our world is probably going to be centered there, as I've been sharing with you guys. Um, because the powers that be way at the top are also very hyper-religious. You have to know that. They're religious too. Um, and so the Christian, if, if in your thoughts, what do I do? Um, what Jesus said to the disciples when he gave them 37 years, he said, you guys get 37 years. That's what he told them. This, this is eschatology I'm teaching you. I've told you guys never buy into the premillennial dispensational view because it is ethnocentric and not Christ centric. It'll trap you. Um, Jesus said in 37 years, the temple's coming down. It's going to be scattered to the four winds and the, dis, uh, the dispersion of the Jews would take place. And it's been that way up to this day. OK, so for 2000 years, the Jews had to be Hasidic. They had to worship to Moldic. They had to worship outside of a, a center of identity because God meant for that to be because the gospel had to go into all the world. So um, where we are now is things are getting ready to culminate in what we would call predictive prophetic Programming, predictive, prophetic programming. And what you and I are needing to do is just simply remember the words of the Lord Jesus. If you stay close to your Bible, he will, he will help you see these things. What he told the disciples is, first of all, beware of men. That's verse three of Matthew 24. First thing he said was beware of men. And, and, and where we're getting in trouble is we stop bewearing of men 
And it's, it's, it's called the parental paternal dialectic. I talked about that on my Monday show. When the government feel like it can be your parent and you allow them, then you feel like you can be their child. That's paternal. Did y'all get that? Parental, the government. Paternal, the children. Oh, whatever mommy says, we will do. And, and that's what our brother uh, Clarence was saying. If we're not op- operating in our own autonomy, we can't think for ourselves. As soon as you get the text from the government, you're, you're going to do it. And, and yes, we could stop them in one day. In one day, we could stop them. But that's the hoodwinking they got going on to keep you from believing that. Did you hear what I just stated? Everybody could stop them in one day. In one day. But that's why the Wizard of Oz is constantly (laughs) sprinkling dust in your eyes. It's called a strong delusion that we should believe a lie because we didn't have a love for the truth that we might be saved. So I'm just letting you know, we could stop them in one day. We could stop Our Jewish brethren knew that. They, 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 they knew when they made that mistake during the Holocaust, they knew they could have stopped it. They sat there and went through all of this psychological discombobulation too. They got the warning like we're getting the warning. God always warns us. Let me pray for us and get us out of here. I need somebody to help me take my board down. Father, thank you for your mercy and your kindness and your goodness. Um, you're in control. Um, we would ask you to just keep us from going to sleep. Help, help us to be wary of what's going on and, and, and thoughtful about how to, how, to, how to address it. As we go our way, give us traveling mercies and take us to our homes and our abodes. And we're asking definitely for peace in our world. We certainly are. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do what you've called us to do by your grace. This we're praying again for every family here represented. We're praying for our country, our leaders. We're praying for Israel for sure. We're praying for Palestine. No doubt about it. We're praying for the Middle East. These are all created in the Imago Day. We're praying for Russia. We're praying for China. We're praying for uh, Europe. We're praying for uh, Britain. We're praying for Australia. We're praying for Germany. We're praying for Canada. You got people in all these places, and that's why we're praying. In Jesus' name, amen.